Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. We're going to be speed walking through the last week of Jesus' life before he was crucified. And I, and I wanted to do something a little different because I only wanted to share scripture that Jesus spoke. So it's often in our paper Bibles referred to as our red letters, right? Uh, I know many of us are digital now, but we're going to be reviewing and studying and looking into Jesus' words from the last week. And there's a lot we could unpack, you know. And I'm sure many of us, if you were ever asked, you know, if you were to die this Friday, kind of a gruesome thought, what would you do for the last week? Right? And I'm pretty sure, I think Jesus, he wanted to leave the disciples with words of wisdom that would carry them through their ministry and be alive and impactful in our hearts today. So again, there's a lot we could unpack. I'm only selecting a few portions for today to share with you. I also want to invite you, we're going to be having a church-wide reading plan for the week of Holy Week. Um, So there's a little blurb for it. It's from the Bible Project. It's awesome. So it's also um, digital pieces too, which is kind of fun to do with children and kids, you students as well. And um, it's at the bottom of your bulletin if you walked in, and we'll also be sending invites later today. So make sure to check that out. Love to have you join us in this last Uh, Holy Week as we celebrate Passion Week. So let's dive in. Lessons from the last week. Our first point that we see in scripture that I'd love to highlight is that prayer is powerful. You know, Jesus talks about the importance of prayer, specifically in the house of God. Jesus is the ultimate authority of power. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all recount Jesus in Jerusalem, in the temple area, driving out those who were buying and selling there. Luke's account shares it this way in Luke 19, 45 through 47. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. In Matthew 21, 14, we see his observation of this time period uh, for Jesus. And he points out that every day, and as people were following Jesus, the blind were being healed Uh, The lame were walking and miracles were happening as people were coming to him with all sorts of ailments. People were coming to see Jesus and were experiencing a miracle. And in this story, I like like it because it gives us a glimpse of Jesus and his humanity, a little bit of that, that anger, a little bit of that fire on behalf of the church and its people. You know, why would would Jesus be so explosive about what was taking place at the temple? It's because it was the house of God. It was a place of worship. It was about priorities. I think it matters so deeply to Jesus what happens in his house is it because it's often referred to as his bride. Jesus loved the house. He called it a house of prayer for all nations. So he's reminding the people that when we come together, it's a house of prayer and it's a house of prayer for all nations and miracles can happen. Your lives can be transformed forever. So we come in anticipation of experiencing the same thing today, even now, 2000 years later. And every Sunday here at Central, we invite people to participate in a time of prayer at the altar because we believe that prayer is important. Just as Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer. Jesus further illustrates the power of prayer when he prays for himself, 
the disciples, and for all believers. John 17, 1 through 26, is Jesus' longest recorded prayer in scripture. He goes to pray for himself and prepare his own heart. You know, it's a great example of intercessory prayer as well, too. John 17, 1, it it kicks off this way. He looks toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. So Jesus comes to his time of prayer and he's submitting, and we see this process of him submitting to the sovereign will of the Lord. The word glory, as Jesus used it in glorifying God, the Greek word is um, doxazo. It means to make known, to make or leave a favorable impression or opinion. So Jesus is saying, Lord, may my life be a, leave a favorable impression or opinion to you. Give glory to you. And Jesus' life does that. Jesus glorified God by finishing the work the Father gave him to do, even though it was hard. Jesus goes on to pray in Mark 14, 35 through 36. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Matthew 26, 38 continues to capture this moment of prayer. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Have you ever prayed in anguish and asked God to remove your overwhelmed, sorrowful soul from whatever circumstance or heartbreak you are facing? Have you ever walked through a season of life where your prayers were desperate pleas to God. Jesus knew exactly how you felt. Jesus experienced the same, and he can relate. He even models for us what to do when we pray and how to pray in these seasons. Ultimately, God's will is best. Surrender, humility, We see the process of that experience all throughout Jesus' words in these prayers on his last week. And sometimes we are called to face and walk through hard things. Jesus prays and submits to the sovereign plan of God that would then eventually his sacrifice would save the world. So he prepares his heart in prayer and then he prays for others. He prays for the disciples. In John 17, 6 through 19, it says this, I have, revealed, I have revealed to you those who you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. He's talking about the disciples in verse 11. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. I am coming to you now. But I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Verse 15, protect them from the evil one. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. So what does this mean for us? His words are so powerful. He prays that the disciples would experience a full measure of his joy. Who could use more joy today? 
he, he, he prays that they would have protection from the evil one. I don't know about you, but I could take extra protection for me and my family. And then he prays this beautiful prayer over his disciples that they are commissioned. He says, I sanctify myself. You know, that's a verb used in Old Testament with a lot of the priests when they would consecrate themselves and prepare sacrifices. So Jesus is saying, hey, I'm in this last week. I set myself apart to do God's will. And because I'm doing God's will, I've surrendered to the sovereign God and, the, and what he's asked of me to do, to, to take on the sins of the world and die on the cross. And I'm gonna do this, Jesus is, is implying, and I set myself apart to do this, to do God's will. But I do this so that you too may be sanctified to do God's will through his sacrifice. Jesus died on the cross not only to save us, but to consecrate us to his service. What does that mean? It means he set us apart to live a life with a purpose. So if you're in this room today, maybe you're floundering or questioning your purpose, lean into what the Lord has for you because you've been set apart because of the work of Jesus Christ to live on purpose and with a plan. Then if you're in this room today, you need to know Jesus prayed for you and he prayed for me. And I was so encouraged by that in my study of this scripture this week. In John 17, 21 through 23, he says this, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be as one as we are one, I and them and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus prayed for love and unity for us. He prayed that we would know love. The Father's love. So maybe you're in this room today and you need that too. You need to know that the creator who fulfilled the plan and purpose that God gave him loves you dearly and intimately, no matter what. And he specifically prayed for you and said he loved you. Man, so he, he reminds us in his last week that prayer is powerful. Then he also reminds us that we need to love God and we need to love others. In Mark 12, 30, 28 through 30, we find this commandment. One of the, the teachers of the law, they came to him and they were debating and they say, um, Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then he says to love others, love others. Mark 12, 31 captures this. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus even takes it a step further and he defines who our neighbor is and, and what that love should look like with the parable of the Good Samaritan. All right, now the parable is found in Luke 10. It'll be up on the screen. But I'm gonna give you the TPV version, Tiffany Perkins version. It goes a little something like this. So there was this Jewish dude, because everybody's saying dude these days, dude walking down the street. And out of nowhere, he's attacked, stripped, beaten, and, and robbed, and left for dead on the side of the road. This is when everybody says, oh... I know, it's super tragic. And this priest comes along 
And again, at, at the time, and I, I won't unpack this further, but there was lots of, uh, you know, legalities for that priest. And I kind of imagine him being like, oh, he sees this, this, the body on the side of the street and it's bloody, it's a hot mess. And I kind of imagine this priest going, do, 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 I don't see that. Nope, not today. I'm out. Okay. Then the Levite comes along. The Levite comes along. He sees this, this man. And you know, even for the Levite, maybe it's like a little bit up farther down the road and he sees it and he's like, Ooh, I don't know what's going on over there. What's, I mean, yeah, that's not for me. And he crosses the street and takes off. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm good. And then here comes along the Samaritan and this Samaritan, he comes, he sees this man on the side of the, the side of the road who's beaten, bloodied and, and broken. And he, has compassion on him. And he bandages him up. He um, tries to help him with his clothing. He tries to help him regroup. And who knows the condition that the man is in. He puts him on his donkey. He goes out of his way and walks to the inn and takes it even a step further. He asks the innkeeper, hey, can you help me nurse, basically nurse this guy back to health? He even offers to pay for his care, two denarii. Let me give you some money for your help at the innkeeper. Then he's like, you know what? I'm going to come back tomorrow and check on him and see how he's doing. If you need more money, any resources you use, I'll take care of it for you. I'll make, I'll make sure that he is good. You know, I think this story is so incredible because Jesus knew the audience he was speaking to. Right, so a recap, you know, the, the Jewish and the Samaritans hate each other at this time. Some people say it's equivalent to like a terrorist or somebody doing something nice for someone here in the room, right? That's equivalent to the compassion that the Samaritan is showing on this injured neighbor. You know, so the, the Jews actually called Samaritans half-breeds. There's a deep hate between them. Um, Samaritans in their, in their own uh, right built their own temple that Jews considered to be a pagan temple. So the feud had grown. So by the time Jesus comes on the scene, um, in the time of Christ, the Jews had hated the Samaritans so much that they would, they would cross the Jordan River and refuse to walk through Samaria. So there's a great level of hate and animosity between the Jews and Samaritans. And Jesus uses this story to his audience to paint a picture that says, we have to love our neighbor, the person hard to love, the person that may not deserve our love, may be inconvenient. And we have to love someone if we are offended or hated by them. Love and compassion have no bounds. And then in Luke, the last 10, 10 through 36, Jesus even says, as he's talking to his audience about this scenario, he says, which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, well, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Love and compassion have no bounds. And Jesus is saying, go and do likewise in his last words to us. Love our neighbor well, even those hard to love, even our enemies. So my question for us today, on a scale of one to 10, how are we doing in this area of our life? In what ways do we show our love for God with all our heart, mind, and soul? How are we loving our neighbors, even the difficult ones? Maybe something for us to evaluate this week of Holy Week. Jesus then goes on and he says, watch and be ready. 
So each one of the gospels give account of Jesus many parables, encouraging his believers to live in such a way that they are ready for his return. So he gives these watch warnings, as I say, in his last portion of his last week. He wants everybody on alert, ready to go. And he says in Mark 13, 5 3, it's recorded, Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of war, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. And it's recorded again in another gospel in Luke 21, 25 through 28. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars on the earth. Nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the rotating and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Then in Matthew 24, 32, again, these are Jesus' words. Now, learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So our watch warnings captured in the gospels with Jesus' words. And then he goes on to say, and be ready, be ready. Jesus tries to paint a picture of what being ready looks like with several parables in the gospel. The parable of the 10 virgins in Matthew 25, one through 13. The parable of the talents in Luke 19, 11 through 27. I think we'll get to read these this week in our uh, Bible reading plan. You can explore those further on your own as well. He wanted us to know signs of his return And he also highlights that we don't know the time or the hour, only the Father knows when. Matthew 24, 36 says this, no one knows about the day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Mark 13, 33, again, he says, be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. Be ready, in Jesus' own words, and be, and keep watch. So how can we ready our hearts? He tells us in Luke 21, 34. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap, for it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Lastly, Matthew 24, 42. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have been ready. He would have kept watch and not let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the son of men will come an hour when you do not expect him. So lessons so far learned in the last week is prayer is powerful. Love God and love others 
Watch and be ready. And lastly, trust God and obey. So we see Jesus in this last week comforting his disciples. And he addresses the doubters as he's having conversations with them. Now, let's take a moment. I'm sure we've all been there. You've doubted. God, are you real? God, I saw how that person acted and they love Jesus, but I don't know. You know what I mean? We've all gone through seasons where we said, God, are you real? And do I want this in my life as, as a believer and a follower of Jesus? Am I going to choose to acknowledge your commands and you as the Savior? My friend said last week, and I think it's so good, everything in life is a lab to test our faith. How's your, how's your test going? When seasons of doubt creep in and onto our heart, Jesus gives us these words in his last week found in John 14, 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In this same passage, Thomas and Philip, they both chime in. Well, Lord, we don't know where you're going. Show us the way. Lord, show us, show us the Father. Basically saying, show us God. Give us more proof. And Jesus responds in verse six. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Saving faith is trust in Jesus, but it must also have factual content. There's evidence of miracles. Faith includes believing that Jesus is also one with the Father. So we acknowledge his miracles and we acknowledge that he's one with, with God. Jesus goes on in this chapter to remind his disciples, you know, you know him, you've seen him. Believe me when I say that I am the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles you've seen. Verse 15, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Verse 21, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love him and show myself to him. I love that. I will love him and show myself to him. How cool is it to think that he, that Jesus acknowledges he wants to show himself to us. So Jesus is predicting his death to the disciples. He's teaching them to trust him. And then we also see in this chapter that love, like faith, cannot be separated from obedience. Love and obedience are linked. We have to trust God to obey his commands. Verse 25 says this, all this I have spoken while still with you. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Trusting and obedience to God out of our love for Jesus gives us peace. He gives us peace. Who could use more peace today, right? The use of peace in this passage is a common um, Hebrew greeting, but Jesus uses it here in an unusual way. The term in this context, speaks in effect to the salvation that Christ's redemptive work on the cross will achieve for his disciples and all people. So he's basically telling his disciples, the peace I give you is total well-being and inner rest of spirit. It's fellowship and friendship with God. 
Jesus' peace is real and present and powerful. Jesus himself trusted God and obeyed. We even see that in his final stance of his last words in Mark 14, 61b. The high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? And Jesus says, I am. And you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus is our savior. And this week, this passion week, this holy week, he wants to remind us that prayer is powerful. And to watch and be ready to love God and others and to trust and obey. For he, man, has done all this because he loves us. In closing, it's kind of a quick pivot, but have you guys seen Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Okay, not the Johnny Depp one. I mean, I don't know, not a fan of Johnny Depp, that one. Okay, um, who's seen the Gene Wilder? I grew up on the Gene Wilder, right? The velour suit, purple velour. The crazy blonde-headed Charlie is like all foo-foo. Cool, five of you know what I'm talking about. Sweet. So we can closing. Um, so, but, okay, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, good, and the Oompa Loompas. You guys see Gene Wilder? Okay. Um, no offense to Johnny Depp's new one. But all that to say, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Here's what happened. Brief recap. Willy Wonka sends out five bars with golden tickets all over the world. So these tickets are all over the world and five lucky kids will get to tour Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory and they will win a lifetime supply of chocolate. Who's excited about that? Under your seat right now. Just kidding. I don't, I have no chocolate for you, but um, it is Easter. So hopefully you can enjoy a, a stop at Target. It is Easter and there is candy and lots of celebration. But so Willy Wonka sends out these tickets. Five kids are, are selected. And I think they can really relate to a lot of us. Like one of the kids, you know, the, the, he's the cowboy guy. And he's like, I just want to be on TV. I just want to be on TV. That guy? Okay. And then there's the girl who her cravings and her desires and her temptations are so strong. She loves the gum. So she chews the gum, blows up into the big blueberry. And the Oompa Loompas have to roll her out. You remember what I'm talking about? Okay. And then... Baruka, Baruka, you know, she's the one that's like, Daddy, I just want a golden egg. I just want a golden egg. She's annoying the whole movie. But, and her dad, of course, like, of course, Baruka, darling, of course, right? Okay, so all these characters are having this experience to really walk in the chocolate factory. And, of course, there's got to be the evil vi the villain, Mr. Slugworth, right? Mr. Slugworth, he gets to all of them because Mr. Slugworth wants the recipe to the everlasting gobstopper gum, which he wants one of the kids to get and steal and bring him one so he can replicate the recipe and then be the most amazing chocolatier and, and, and be better than Willy Wonka. I just told you the whole movie. Congratulations. So Mr. Slugworth, he, Slug, Slugworth, um, he got to all the contestants and here we come to the end of the movie. The only people remaining are Charlie and his grandpa. Now, Charlie and his grandpa still screwed up big. Remember, they drank this, the fizzy stuff, floated to the ceiling, got their handprints all over on the glass ceiling. Cool, you remember that? Okay. So they did that. They weren't without their guilt. Well, grandpa is indignant because Charlie's like, uh, Mr. Willy Wonka's like, I'm done. I'm done. But at this point, all the kids and families are gone, but Charlie and his grandpa, and he's like, I have more work to do. I have more work to do. I'm going to sit down and do my work. So he sits down to do his work. 
and grandpa is indignant and he's like, you said Mr. Wonka, Charlie would get a lifetime supply of chocolate. Charlie needs his chocolate. And they're leaving and Charlie, Mr. Wonka is like, no, do whatever. And so as they're walking out, grandpa goes, well, fine, we'll take this recipe to Mr. Slugworth. Charlie stops and pauses at the door, takes his everlasting gum stop, gob stop gum, that's a tongue twister, takes that gum and he comes and puts it on Willy Wonka's desk and he says, thanks, Mr. Wonka, and starts to walk off. Charlie in the movie slowly looks up, sees the gum and jumps up out of his chair. You did it, Charlie! I knew you would, Charlie! I knew you could do it, you can have it all! And then Charlie gets to ride in this totally cool glass elevator, flies up into the sky, sees all of Willy Wonka and his chocolate factory, and, and Willy Wonka's like, you have it all! Everything is yours! And I think that is so what Jesus is trying to say to us. We can have it all! We can relate to that. He's saying, I want to give it all to you. I'm just looking for people who want to explore the mysteries of God because those aren't just my friends, they're my family. So God's saying, I want you to be in the family of God by trusting and believing in what Jesus has done on the cross. Because Jesus, he gave it all for us so that we could have it all. We could have everything we could possibly want for eternity in relationship with Jesus Christ. So I don't know what you walked in here with today. Maybe you need to be reminded of what Jesus has done for you. Maybe there's something that's encouraging your heart to love others, to watch and be ready, something you need to get right in your life, some preparation, some work that needs to be done. Maybe it's just about trusting God and loving obedience. So if you will, I'd be honored to pray for you. And we'll continue. Jesus.